this week on Dig Me Out. Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week we are uh, we're pinch hitting. We've had to do that a few times this year, where uh, we thought we had an episode in the proverbial um, bank, and then uh, not in the bank, but uh, lined up, and then it fell through. Usually, this happens with an interview. Um, we've had a couple fall through, so in its place. Uh, people might not know that we were reviewing this record because we didn't know we were reviewing it until 48 hours before we were going to review it, uh, <laughs> which is not ideal. Mm. But uh, we're checking out Zen Gorilla. And uh, this was your pick, Jay. Sure was. So why did you pick Zen Gorilla? Uh, this was a band I remember seeing live. I think you were with me. I was. Um, and they sort of fit with the uh, late 90s garage rock scene, but I thought they were a little different mm-hmm. um, in terms of the overall sound of the band. It's, uh, I won't get into the review, but I just felt like they stood out a little bit from uh, some of the other bands that were happening at the time. Sure. And uh, they lasted, I think, quite a while. Um, and I uh, thought it'd be fun to go back and revisit and see how, how it held up all these years later. Yeah, the show we saw, it was at the El Rosa Villa in Columbus, Ohio. The helicopters were the headliners, I believe. It was a four-band bill with the New Bomb Turks, uh, Zen Gorilla, and there was a fourth band, and I can't remember. Was You're... it uh, the Gaza Strippers? Was it the Gaza Strippers? I don't know. I'm asking you. Um, I don't think it was. I think we saw them at... Uh, Little Brothers. Oh, okay. Jeez, I should remember this. Super Suckers. That was who it was. Oh, okay. It was Super Suckers, New Bomb Turks, Helicopters, Zen Gorilla. So, pretty good show for like 99, 2000. Mm-hmm. And a, and a decent venue to uh, to see them at. The venue that uh, Dimebag got killed at. Yes. I wasn't going to bring that up, but yes, that's the... Uh, well, for those people who live outside Columbus, that's what the right. is known for. Yes. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. So, Jay, you mentioned about the briefly about the history of this band. I'm going to give you the actual somewhat history of this band. History of the band. So, Zen Gorilla formed in Newark, Delaware in, it just says, the late 80s. Somewhere in there. Could be 87, could be 89. Huh. Okay. Somewhere in there. Uh, their band members were Andy Duvall on drums, Marcus Durant on vocals and harmonica, Carl Horn on bass, and Rich Millman on guitar. So they released a self-titled album in 92, then uh, moved to Philadelphia to, you know, move to a bigger city. Uh, more shows, more venues, that sort of thing. Started touring heavier, and there was no. Uh, there was an EP that came out in '95, and then another one in '96, and then they ended up moving. Uh, well, before that, after two years in 
Philadelphia, they decided to move out to San Francisco. So they moved out to San Francisco. That's when they started doing the EPs. Um, and then in 97, they released an album for Alternative Tentacles record label, which was followed by another album in 98. Uh, and then in 99, they, uh, somewhere in there, they signed a sub pop. And the album that we're reviewing, Trance States in Tongues, was released on Sub Pop in 1999. So that's most likely the album that we saw them touring for. In 2001, they released their second album on Sub Pop called Shadows on the Sun. Then in 2002, they released their final album, Heavy Mellow. And again, the, the history with this band is a little vague. The note on Wikipedia says the band dissolved sometime around 2003. Could have been 2002, could have been 2004. Sometime around there. That's the uh, the basic history of Zen Gorilla from originally Newark, Delaware. Might be the first Delaware band, Jay, that we've uh, checked out. It might be the only band ever from Delaware. Usually it's just, you know... Members, I guess it would be members uh, of the Biden family and and companies that have incorporated to escape taxes in other states. I got you. I got, I'll get you one here in a second. Another Delaware band, please. Let's go through all the Delaware bands. There's Zen Gorilla, <laughs> George Thurgood. Oh, George Thurgood's from Delaware. Well, I don't know. His band's called the Delaware Destroyers. Let me I would have thought he's from, from Michigan Delaware. or or uh, something like that, or maybe uh, Wilmington, Delaware. He's from Wilmington, Delaware. Wow. A couple of native sons. All right. Let's talk about their album, Trance States in Tongues, released 99, Sub Pop. We just did John Spencer Blues Explosion. So this is a kind of an interesting album to follow with, Jay. Mm -hmm. Because it's in sort of the same wheelhouse. It's It's a natural extension, which is why I think you picked it. It was on your brain subconsciously <laughs> the blues the blues blues are number one that's right so since you picked this album jay i'm gonna start and i'll tell you one thing i liked about it i liked the uh the energy of this band i liked the propulsion that reminded me of bands such as the mc5 in the early days and then bands of this era like glucifer was a band that they reminded me of Earlier Glucifer, not when they they got a little more refined as they went on, um, but the the earlier stuff, and a lot of that Scandinavian uh, action rock stuff. Actually, when I read the when I was reading the Wikipedia profile, I actually thought they were from Denmark at first because I I mixed up Delaware and Newark, and it looked like Denmark in my dyslexic <laughs> brain. Wow. Yeah. You may want to get some therapy. It's just, I just have mild dyslexia. That's okay. No, but I enjoyed, uh, you know, this is a 12-song record. It goes real fast. All these songs are, are relatively short. We're talking about, you know, two to three minute long songs. Some of them are under two minutes. Uh, the only song that goes beyond that is the last song, and that's a cover of David Bowie's uh, Moon Age Daydream, which they do a pretty solid job on, I'll say. But all these, all these songs are in the, you know, what you expect from that era of, of up-tempo rock. And there's stuff that, that gets even heavier and and almost gets it to, uh, like, I'm thinking of, like, uh, I think it's track 
10 preacher's promise which is like a a minute 52 uh it's got that like like that drum beat that's almost like a uh it almost gets into like a reverend horton heat kind of feel yeah There's a lot to like in terms of the energy and the volume. I think that's the thing, you know, sometimes it's hard to separate albums from live performances, but I remember them being a very loud band when we saw them, which can also be difficult live if you're not familiar with the band, because then it just sounds like a bunch of noise. Right. And if the room is bad and it's not mixed well. Right. Those all, all those things can mess up a loud, a really loud band. Sure. Um, but uh, in uh, revisiting this album, Jay, tell me, what did you like? Um, I think I might have mentioned this in past reviews from time to time and that, you know, there's there, some bands are um, what I would describe as a sound band. Mm-hmm. Like maybe the songwriting isn't remarkable or the performance isn't remarkable or anything, you know, necessarily along those lines but they just have a great sound right and i think this is one of those bands that just has a great sound like sonically um how they play together the tones they choose mm-hmm. kind of the overall aesthetic of the sound it's just a cool thick I, I, you said loud i think that's a great way to put it and on record sometimes that's hard to convey you know loudness on a recording is difficult for some bands to capture correctly and i think this band does a really good job of you know conveying in us from a studio recording onto uh you know a cd or whatever format you listen to they, they convey that they're loud you know and it sounds good right. loud it sounds like the amps are you know kind of pushing their limit and you can hear you know the tubes you know kind of burning hot and you can uh you know the vocals are all overdriven and you know the drums sound big it does a good job of being loud, but not getting overly like ugly, I guess for lack of a better term. Sometimes right. you know, on recordings, bands can c- try to pull that off and it just, it's just not very pleasant to listen to at least for extended periods of time. You just, it just burns you out. Um, but this band I think does a pretty good job of presenting, you know, a loud kind of sound mix, but not, it's still musical, you know? I, and I think a lot of that has to do with, you know the the history the history attests to this that they were around for a while. I mean, these guys know how to play, and they're a band that evolved based on what I was reading. Is that they kind of started out with a bit of a psychedelic tinge? Yeah, I think you can you can hear the the fact that I think they spent some time figuring out what they were going to be and what they were going to sound like, and I think that comes across. Um, I think what's remarkable is that they didn't lose. The spirit and the energy, which I think you responded to. So if you imagine, 
anybody listening to this, being in a band for 10 years, I mean, at this point, if you're saying they started in the late 80s, by the time this record's made, this band's 10 years old. At that point, you would think you start running out of some, some of that early energy. Um, somehow, I don't know, maybe through reinventing themselves, they're able to still convey that mm-hmm. um, well on here. The John Spencer uh, reference is interesting in that I think of John Spencer as being a blues dis- deconstruction. Um, and I think of this as being blues amplification, you know? Yeah. I don't think they're deconstructing blues. I think they're just taking it and playing it faster and louder. Not that that's a new concept. I mean, a lot of bands did that. Um, in some ways, it's not that different than maybe what the Stooges did. There's a little less of a punk energy, punk attitude with this band, I think. Um, it's just more of like full throttle, amps cranked, higher energy take on, on blues, which is, it works remarkable, I think, pretty well. to pivot to maybe what doesn't where some of the shortcomings are is that within that and you tell me if, if you disagree if within that I think it becomes a bit of a one trick pony mm. um, I think you know halfway through this record you start to feel like okay well I, I get it but what else can you give me and and it's pretty much what you heard I mean there might be some songs at the end of the record that are that are strong you know, I think that cover that David Bowie cover is really really well done in some ways it's they definitely made it their own but it's uh i don't know i hate to say that i like it better than a david bowie song but it's it's pretty damn good while the material might be you know varying from the start to beginning in terms of you know what songs you might like for the most part once you get what this band sounds like it doesn't change you know it's pretty much 12 songs of that so that would be one negative i think i could call out for this band what do you think about that yeah i think i have a hard time with if their evolution was natural from that psychedelic or if they saw the rise of that sound in the late 90s and decided hey that's if we're gonna get signed to sub pop that's the direction we need to go like i don't know i don't know how natural this evolution was with regards to their sound. So part of me, sound it kind of feels like they put pieces together of like, okay, we're taking the big MC5. Well, not, MC5 isn't always a big riff in terms of like the volume of the guitar. Yeah. Um, we're taking that sort of style and amping it up. And then, I mean, the guy is kind of doing his version of a John Spencer vocal 
um, in terms of it being a little bit of Elvis inflection and and a little bit, but it's he quite clearly is trying to mask that. Um, there's a mm-hmm. lot of distor- like distorting of the vocal, not necessarily with distortion per se, but with like effects and like making it real muddy, so you can't really hear exactly what words he's saying, but you can hear the melody of what he's trying to get across. Kind of like a megaphone effect all the time. Right? I I feel like he's probably singing through that effect for quite a bit of the vocal, um, which is fine. And and it, you know, if you just want the high energy rock and roll, and you're not concerned about any of the words that he's saying, and all you want is the chorus to come along for you can hear him screaming the chorus, then it totally works. And you kind of, I think in this respect, it's not worth analyzing it any further than that it's supposed to be just about primal sort of you know punching you in the gut and moving along and it doesn't necessarily need to hold up to scrutiny in the same way as some other bands but it definitely like you said is kind of a one-trick pony in terms of there's either fast or there's faster yeah and that's what's so interesting about the bowie cover is is that it gives them a chance to play with dynamics Yep. And uh, dropping the tempo quite a bit, actually having a, a, a melody that is defined and you can you know what's going on. So, I mean, I, I there's so many bands that, you know, now when I start going back and listening, you know, like the Mooney Suzuki and all these other sort of like late 90s garage action rock whatever verbiage you want to use that are from this era with like the delta 72 is another one that i I remember buying their record um just because it was described as being you know in the same vein as the super suckers and you know these other bands is like oh i'll go get that and then it really doesn't you know, it's much more stripped down or it's much more yep. this or much more that. So a lot of those bands just didn't have the songs, you know, I think that's, that's what, what it comes it, down to. They had a cool sound, but you just didn't have the material. So the ones that did, I think really separate. I thought the vocal, I agree. I think, um, here's the thing that ultimately bugged me about it is I don't mind if the effect, it's just that I think this guy is actually a really good singer. And you hear it at Moon Age Daydream. I mean, he sings that song. And there's some other songs where he, like, you know, really belts it out. But the effect, that megaphony effect makes everything two-dimensional. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's there, you miss those moments of where the vocal just kind of reaches out and grabs you. It, right. it just can never do that because it's so flat. And right. in the mix and affected that it can never, it can never have that effect on you. And I think that's unfortunate because I think <clears throat> had he been maybe a, not as good a singer, you know, I don't John Spencer for example. I don't think anybody's going to call him a great singer, right? But this guy's actually got range, and I think he can he can really belt the material out. And I would love would have loved to see a little more restraint in this effect so that you could have those moments where it would transcend the sound of this band and go into a place that, you know, was a little bit more three dimensional. Yeah. I always struggle with that. Like, you know, a band like rocket from the crypt, such a primal and simple band that in terms of 
their basic sort of a premise, which is to take like three chords and just rock them out as hard as possible and have this, you know, energetic front man and crazy live show. Um, but then when they do stuff like on the self-titled album where they're dealing with like Latin rhythms and stuff, mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, it kind of works, but I don't know that everybody's, you know, wants them to do that because mm-hmm. they're so good at doing the one thing that they do, yeah, which is just, you know, blaring through those three chords. And I remember, you know, there, I, I think there was some like kind of negative feedback or negative, you know, pushback on that band when they started to not be who people wanted them to be. So it's kind of a catch 22 because I feel like, especially when you're dealing with like garage rock and, and this sort of blues rocks, if you kind of break, you know, you know, if you can, if you break out of that mold too much, then you're not staying true to the roots of it. And you kind of, you're kind of locked into, you know, sort of like, it's sort of like punk in a certain ways where like you can't, you know, if you've chosen to be a, a punk band, you can't write three, four ballads unless you're Green Day. Yeah, I think uh, that's interesting. I was thinking about that. I was just listening to this record and that the effect, I don't want to say makes them credible, but it, it uh, without it, without that effect on the vocal load time and say they turn on the guitars just a little bit, does this become a very pedestrian blues rock record? You right. Know what I mean, does it take that? extra volume and production to put it in a place where literally, you know, breaks the sound barriers of what, you know, a middle of the road blues record would be through volume and, you know, distortion. And then it becomes something that can be embraced by, you know, a hipper at the time, a hipper garage rock kind of band or aesthetic, you know, and, and fans, yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of, you know, I think it enabled the band to be more widely noticed. Mm-hmm. But at the same point, it kind of makes them one-dimensional. It's a catch-22. Yeah. Which a lot of bands face. It's, it's always curious, and I, I think this is happening less and less when a band is able to actually evolve its sound. Yep. You know, people expect bands nowadays to sort of form with a fully realized idea of what their sound is and if you listen to so many bands throughout the history of rock and roll they didn't necessarily sound the way on album three and four that they did on album one or two you know there's so many bands that we like that they're just they're just different bands because you don't necessarily you're not the same skill level you're not the same you know the same interests all the time and there's so many factors involved. People can come and go from the band. And so, you know, one of our favorite bands, if you go listen to the first Afghan Wigs record and then you go listen to 1965, it doesn't sound like the same band, but yep. they have one connecting, you know, connection. And that's the sort of the personality of Greg Dooley. You know, that's the thing that binds that together. You know, when a yep. when a band like I mean think of like the Killers, there's a band that like tried to stretch a little bit. Yep. On Sam's Town, I think it was tried to do uh-huh. like a little bit of a Bruce Springsteen thing. 
Uh-huh. I don't think that was received too well. Commercially, not definitely not as much as the first record. No. I think they had to go back to the more like dancey sound after that. Yep. So this is 99. I, I, I hesitate to bring up like why wasn't this more popular, but I don't think any of those bands that were doing this were necessarily doing it for popularity purposes. I mean, yep. they're doing it to tour together and, you know, sell records to the people that wanted to buy these records. But this was never going to be mainstream radio, especially in 99, right? Mm, I don't think so. I mean, I mean, we talked the, about it at the uh, time, like it was an alternate universe that was playing helicopter singles. On the yeah, radio. there was a real, I, I remember there, you know, I kind of got into it. There was a pretty cool scene going on of really, truly alternative rock and roll like and i don't mean alternative in terms of the commercial alternative label i mean not the mainstream but still fully formed and coherent and felt like it was free of like even though we kind of touched on some a little bit here but it was free of a lot of the cliches and archetypes of what like 80s or early 90s alternative meant it was just in a lot of ways, it was super like hooky and you know just straightforward hard rock. But at that time, commercially, that wasn't it was the least you know popular thing you could do. <laughs> you know, when we were like new metal and starting to get like way uber produced Evanescence and all this nonsense. And mm-hmm. so there was a pretty cool scene happening, and I think it, for the most part, it you know it 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 continued, but there wasn't really really good like between 97 and I think 2002 maybe or early 2000s there was a really vibrant scene um and this band was part of that so Jay on our scale of determination were the album better EP decent single where are you at it's tough because I think it's I think it's a worthy album in that I don't think there's any bad songs okay I think this band, though, and this record, I I love it in short bursts. You know, they're a great mixtape band. You know, if you're making a mixtape or something or a playlist, mm-hmm. they're a great band to drop in, you know, somewhere to, to shake things up and just have a great burst of energy and just a raw, you know, heavy volume kind of feel. But I still go back to, you know, I, I like this record a lot. I like this band even I, when I go back to it, I start to fade. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll be totally focused for a couple, two, three tracks, then I'll find myself kind of not focusing and coming back, paying attention again. Somewhere around the time they play the, the kind of the, it's like a slower, kind of a 6-8 feel tune. can't remember the name of it. But that's usually where I start to pay attention again, and then it, it ends real strong with me and Age Daydream. So I think it's a worthy record. It's just uh, maybe not a, it's one you're going to pull out after you get familiar with it. You're going to pull out once every year, you know, and kind right. of blaze through it and then set it aside and you're good for a while. I agree with you. I think it's a worthy record in that you can throw it on. It's not that long. There isn't a bad track. There also isn't necessarily a standout track except for the Bowie cover, which is, you know, yeah, it is what it is. But that's, you know, they're working from good source material there. So sure. But I don't think there's any songs that you are go. Oh, I gotta get rid of this song, you know. Unless you really don't like that like double time punk beat that's on, yeah, one of the tracks. You know, I think that overall 
it's a pretty solid listen, especially if you just want, you know, some big loud guitars that aren't thinking guitars, just, you know, big riffs, bluesy, garagey, then this is a good record to throw on. Yep. It's a palate cleanser. That's definitely it. And when you uh, listen to too much slick bullshit, you throw this on and yep. <laughs> you're good to go. Absolutely. So if you agree or disagree, make sure you stop by one of our various social media outlets and uh, let us know your take on Zen Gorilla's 1999 album, Trance States in Tongues. want to remind everybody that by going to our Patreon page, you can join for as little as a dollar a month to get behind-the-scenes access. You'll get previews of episodes that you can chime in on, and we'll use that uh, during the show. Bonus material from episodes, giveaways like one we just did for the Failure Vinyl EP. That one went out to one of our Patreon subscribers, and we'll have future giveaways Patreon exclusives, and if you join at the 250 level, you get to pick an album for the 2017 season after 12 months. Uh, also, I uh, shouldn't forget, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at the iTunes. Yes, stop what you're doing right now. Go to iTunes. Yeah. Enter Dig Me Out Podcast and just write something. Yes. Short, and it helps a ton. It does help us. Apple pays attention to podcasts that gets reviews. And if we get paid attention to, that just helps us do even cooler stuff. Step one, paid attention to. <laughs> Step two, question mark. Step three, money. I think we may have got, even gotten featured at some point and didn't even know it. I need to go back and watch, look at traffic. But I think they might have featured us at some point. I think somebody mentioned something about it. And uh may have seen so we have to check and see. We'll be we'd be able to see a, a bump in traffic to the feed, for sure. Well, next week, Jay, we're going to have a bump in traffic because uh, we're revisiting our roundtable series called "In the '90s." We did our first one; it was our pilot episode last fall, where we went to uh, Van Halen, the the world of Van Halen, and we examined Van Halen in the '90s. We, this is where we take a very popular or important band from the 1980s, and we see how they reacted or survived or didn't survive, how they evolved, what happened to them in the 90s with the massively shifting landscape. Van Halen was our first one. You'll find out very soon, actually a week after this post, who our next episode is going to be. But if you want a preview of that, you go to our Patreon page and you can chime in with your thoughts. But it's a big band that we've got Load it up for that episode. There's my that's my hint. So I watched your uh, Periscope video. Oh yeah, dude, that was so creepy. Why I was, was waiting it creepy? For, <laughs> it was like I felt like I was watching like a serial killer about to do something. <laughs> yeah, a There's serial like a, killer giving away vinyl records. Well, when I turned it on, it was just like this dark basement with a record player playing. It's like waiting for you to come in doing the tuck or something. Oh my god! All right, <laughs> or pan and like I will see, not be insulted on my dang- own show. See a body dangling in the background. It's my. It's the. It's the dig me out uh, northeastern headquarters. This is the kind of thing you can you can expect to see if you tune in for 
Dig me out Periscope. There you go. It was only my second Periscope. Just a CD underbelly. Chillax. All right. I loved it. It was just really creepy. (laughs) And I know you. I was like, God, what's going to (laughs) happen? Okay. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. (laughs) We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. You can support the podcast by becoming a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com backslash digmeout or requesting a review for the 2016 season at our request a review page at digmeoutpodcast.com.